Welcome to the Adorned Women Podcast. Our goal is to inspire you with new stories each week featuring women of faith from all over the world and all walks of life. Through weekly discussions with each sister in Christ, we hope to give you a glimpse into who they are and how their lives have been transformed by the gospel. We're all in this journey together, so let's be inspired together. Hello, Adorned Women. Welcome back to the Adorned Women podcast. I'm your host, Alicia, and this week I get to introduce you to Rachel Witt. Rachel is a missionary in Mexico, where she has been for many years now, and she works with an indigenous people, the Tepuan people. She also lives near the city of Durango. And so with Rachel's story, first of all, it was just a delight to listen to, but there were also three big things that I took away from it. The first was that Rachel didn't let her emotions disqualify her from being used by God. That sounds maybe silly to say, because of course they don't disqualify you from being used by God, but she talks about things that could really make you want to give up and quit. Things like crying and things like anxiety, things that when faced with what she felt like God was calling to could have very easily made her think, okay, I don't measure up. I'm not good at this. I just need to quit. But she didn't. She didn't, and God was able to use her powerfully beyond those emotions when she submitted them to him. The second thing that stuck out to me was that where Rachel went when she was sent by God and entrusted with a task by God, value was instilled in a group of people that previously had not experienced a lot of value. They had not felt a lot of worth in themselves. And I think that is so powerful. Where she went, relationships formed, and worth was instilled. And that's so powerful. The third thing that stuck out to me from today's conversation was that there is such simplicity in our relationship with Christ. Then when that is the heart of our religion, when that is the heart of following Christ, is that relationship, there is simplicity in that. Rachel talked about every day she just asks, God, what do you have for me today? And I don't know about you, but for me, that really stirred something in my heart of like, I've been making this too complicated. I just longed to go back to that question of, okay, God, what do you have for me today? Just hands open. What do you have for me? I'll let Rachel tell her whole story, and you'll hear each of those things in there, as well as maybe something else that sticks out for you. But as you listen, as always, I hope that you're inspired to draw closer to God and draw closer to those around you, because as always, that is the desire of our heart. All right, that's all I've got. Enjoy today's conversation. Hi, Rachel. Welcome to the Adorned Women podcast. I'm so glad you could join me today. Hi, good to be here. (laughs) I would like to start as usual, just jumping into a little bit of the context of where you're at and how you spend your time. Uh, Could you share that with us? Sure. So I'm in Durango, Mexico. Um, So I'm in the city of Durango, but I live outside the city about 30 minutes. And we live in a ranch town. So it's me and my husband and our four kids. And uh, so I kind of have the best of both worlds. I can go 30 minutes into the city and I can actually buy like a Starbucks coffee. (laughs) But on my day-to-day life, you know, we, my, to get out of uh, my driveway might be running into cows. Like that's my... (laughs) That's my traffic jam for the day (laughs) or seeing people ride by on horses. So you're seeing horses and cars 
and maybe some ATVs and then go to the grocery store and you've got fresh beans that you just buy for the morning for your breakfast and fresh tortillas that someone just made and uh, everything, everyone buys everything per day. So like if you go into the little grocery store and ask for diapers, they'll ask you like how many, so they don't give you like a package. They give you like two diapers or, you know, whatever you need for the day. So that's kind of like the context of where we live. It's a ranch town. So people have animals, we have cows and we have uh, sheep. So my kids are homeschooled. And uh, so I'm their teacher. So that's kind of like full-time job right there. Um, but I'm also really involved uh, in the ministry and everything that we do in the ministry. And uh, so that's kind of our life. We're not cowboys, but at the same time, like we do wear our boots and our cowboy hats, like the people around, you know, when the, when the, uh, like what we're doing permits for it and stuff like that. So I just kind of live uh, wherever I'm at. I kind of adapt myself to those things. So I can be, you know, with friends having breakfast and drinking coffee and maybe going shopping. And then the next day I can be going up to the mountains where we work with indigenous tribes and like no cell phone, no water, no showers, no toilet. And I'm good up there too. So I just kind of adapt myself, you know, to where I'm at. So that's kind of the context of what my life is like and, and where I'm living right now. Right. That sounds pretty neat. I would love to go ahead and just jump into how you've gotten here, how you've gotten to where you're at, because I have a feeling it'll be a great story. So take me back as far as you want to, but just what are some of the moments and experiences and decisions that have gotten you where you are today and made you who you are today? Yeah, so I come from a family of generations of being in ministry. So my great-grandparents were missionaries. Uh, my great-grandmother had 11 children, and they were missionaries in Africa and Tibet. And, you know, you're talking back when you know, you had to go by boat to get where you were going. So it was weeks of travel and stuff like that. So I grew up with those stories. And my dad had lived uh, in Africa as a boy. So I grew up with all those stories, but I myself had never been out of the country until I was out of college. And so I knew that I wanted to serve the Lord. And about, I think maybe like in high school, college, I started really having a desire for different cultures and watching movies of missionaries, reading books about missionaries. Uh, but I created like this, um, uh, this idea, like this romantic idea of being a missionary. And so after I went through college and then I was helping in my, my dad's a pastor in Houston, Texas. So I'm a city girl and uh, I was helping my dad in his church and everything. And then I just felt like it was time to start making some missions trips. So I, I did go to Mexico, but like on the border towns, you know, with a group of people, which is, you know, kind of a lot of people, that's their first entry into missions, you know, is just something uh, like that. But then I felt the Lord telling me to go to China. And so there were these, a missionary that we knew in China. And so I dedicated two months that I was going to go stay in an orphanage. And I was going to teach English at the school that he was starting uh, in China. And so I went by myself. And uh, I think I was 21 years old when I, I had my birthday while I was there. And uh, so I went, but that experience for me was just key in my life because it completely broke down the romantic idea I had of missions. So I got there and well, first I got to Hong Kong. The missionary left me in a hotel. He went to another town. I was all by myself and 
jet lag. So in the middle of the night, I'm just walking the streets of Hong Kong, like finding a McDonald's. I don't know, just crazy. I enjoyed it. But at the same time, like I was crying all the time. So it was just these like huge mixed emotions. And it took us 20 hours by train to get to where we were going in China. So that was a whole another day of travel. And by the time I got there, I mean, just my body and everything was spent. I was tired and the emotions just let go. And I was just crying. And he's like, are you sure you're going to be okay? And I'm like, no, I've got this. Like, I knew I had it. I knew I could do this. But it was just something I wasn't expecting. And so that's actually been a big part of just the journey for me is just realizing like, okay, I'm kind of a, I like things to go as planned and to realize things don't go as planned and that's okay. Like it didn't make me a bad person because I got there and I wasn't this perfect missionary I had envisioned in my mind. So I was able to cry and miss my family and have like these emotional uh, crisis, I guess you could say, and then be like, but I'm okay. Like I'm actually doing this and I love what I'm doing, but it's hard (laughs) and it's okay because I know that God's brought me there. So that was like my really first introduction, like to true missions, because I was on my own and really far away. But I didn't feel like that's uh, where God had me, like to be for, you know, for full time or anything like that. So I went back to Houston, you know, just working in in a church, just doing normal uh, everyday stuff. And then um, a missionary came to our church who our church has supported or had supported for like 50 years. She had been a missionary that long in Mexico, in Durango, Mexico. And in our kind of circle, you know, everyone kind of has their circle of ministers and missionaries that they know and everything. So in our circle, she was like the epitome of a missionary. Uh, She had gone to Mexico uh, when she was young and her, her and her husband had three boys. And when he was 21 years old, he was flying his plane and the Mexicans shot him down and he was killed. And she stayed in Mexico uh, with her three boys and continued the work. And then later on in life, got married and had twin girls and they stayed in Mexico forever. And so she came to our church and she was just kind of like, I need someone to come help me in Mexico to come down for a couple months. And so I told my dad, I said, you know what? I think this is the next thing. I think I'm supposed to go help her in Mexico, in Durango, Mexico. And he said, okay. He said, but only two months because I don't want you to get emotionally involved with a Mexican down there. That was his words. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, so two months. So I headed down to Durango, Mexico. And by that time I was 23 and uh, I got here and it was kind of the same thing. I got here and I loved it, but I cried. And she was like, are you okay? And I was like, yes, I'm okay. Like I can do this. I just have to get through the emotions. And so while I was here, she called up her grandson. Uh, So he's the son of one of the little boys, you know, that had grown up in Mexico with their mom. And she said, you need to come take her out to eat. You speak English. You know, she doesn't speak Spanish and she just needs to get out of the country and you need to take her to town. And he didn't want to. He was 19 years old and he's like, I'm playing Xbox. And she's like, I don't care. And so he came and picked me up and took me to eat. And within a few weeks, we were already talking about getting married. Like that's how fast it progressed. And so I say that Mexico won my heart, but also a man won my heart. (laughs) And so the next year, uh, when I was 24, we actually got married. 
And, um, and like three days after we got married, I moved to Mexico full time. Uh, before we did get married. So one of the things about our fast courtship and everything is that both of us were very serious about, we wanted to do the will of God. And so uh, he was born and raised in Mexico. His mom was Mexican. His dad was American. Uh, But he, you know, really just connects with the Mexican culture. His first language is Spanish, you know, so it's just a little bit different, but uh, he was just very, he wanted to make sure that this was going to be God. So before we even decided that we were going to date, it was serious questions. And so he said, now I work up in the mountains uh, with the indigenous tribes and it's hard. Like it's hard to go up there. It's a you know hard life. And so before we decide anything, you have to go because I have to make sure you can take it. He said, because if you can't take it, I'm sorry, but like, this isn't going to work. And instead of that, like making me like pull back, I was like, man, this guy is serious. This is what I want. And so I did. I took a trip up to the mountains, my first time riding in a small uh, four passenger plane, Uh, my husband and the pilot. And um, so my first time flying in the little plane flew up to this uh, place in the middle of nowhere that at that time, vehicles couldn't even get up there. So the people had only ever seen airplanes. And uh, just very remote, uh, you know, the people speak a different language. They do not speak Spanish. So they have their own language, their own culture, their own dress and everything. And I got up there and I just loved it. I said, this is, that was just kind of like what my heart was crying out for as far as missions is concerned. It's just something that the Lord put in me. And uh, so that's kind of how I got here. So we live in the city and then we go up to the mountains. So we live at 6,500 feet. So we live on the foothills of the mountains and then we go higher into the mountains, like up to 10,000 feet with indigenous tribes and we work with them. So that's kind of my story of how I ended up in Mexico. Wow. You know what I love about that story is <laughs> the big role that your emotions played in it and not even like, you know, they didn't dictate what you did, but the fact that you had yes. them. I mean, don't we all just have yes, emotions? Have and them. I liked what you said about, you know, wanting things to go according to plan, but they didn't. And it wasn't that the outside circumstances didn't go to plan. It was that you yourself were not like behaving the way you'd envisioned yes. that you would. But you were like, you know what, that's okay. And God can still take that and use that. Because I think, you know, for me, that really resonates with me. But I've always thought about, you know, things didn't go according to plan externally. But even I definitely have had that too, where I'm like, okay, well, I'm not, I'm not measuring up to where I thought I would, but God can still use that. And I love that he took you and just guided you step by step. And, you know, there was a fire in your heart that he put there that refused to go out until you found what what filled you with joy that that experience with the indigenous people in the mountains so that yeah what a cool story so take me from there how did your ministry sort of begin what did you find yourself doing with those people so uh when we would go up into the mountains so when i moved to mexico i did not speak spanish i mean i knew the colors i knew the you know the numbers i knew how to ask to go to the bathroom because i took spanish in high school you know like most of us do but that was all I knew. So, um, so we would go up into the mountains and obviously I couldn't speak to the people. They speak their own language and then they speak Spanish, but a little bit lower level, you know, than the Mexicans speak Spanish because it is their second language. And so, uh, we would go up there and one of the things that we would do is every Easter, 
so our, um, the churches that my husband's grandparents started, so there's a bunch of churches in Mexico, all throughout Mexico, and we have about seven churches in the mountains that my husband and I kind of are over those churches in the mountains. So every Easter from all those different towns in the mountains, they come to one spot because they know we're going to be there. And we have like an event for Easter. And so we would always have this event every year. And it was, you know, just an exciting thing because we feed them. So they're used to eating um, tortillas twice a day, uh, handmade tortillas out. Like they literally grow the corn and then dry the corn and shuck the corn and boil it and make their tortillas. This is the everyday thing for them. So they literally eat tortillas. And if they're having a good year, they'll eat beans and tortillas. And then maybe, maybe some of them will have chickens if they're more wealthy. And so they'll have some eggs or maybe they'll, you know, have a little money to go to a little store and buy, um, like, uh, noodles or, you know, just stuff like that. But their diet is very limited. And so we would feed them, uh, every day while we're there too. So it's like four days. And so we would do this event, but I would just notice that the ladies in the culture, they have no worth. And so they would come uh, to the meetings and stuff and their faces were down. They wouldn't look up. They had a bunch of babies that they would be tending to. They had walked for hours or days to get to where we were. And then they would just sleep outside by the fire. So it was a big inconvenience for them to go to the event. And the men were having meetings at the church. In the church service, the men would sit down and the ladies would stand in the back. And so the ladies just weren't a part of what was going on. And um, so through some different um, situations that happened where I was with some of these ladies, I was kind of like, man, what can I do with them? I can't even talk to them, but I need to do something. So a couple of them were down in the city. They had come down. That's not very common for the Indians to be able to come to the city, but a few of them had. And they were in my house and I baked a cake. And they were just, they loved it. And then I realized, well, they don't have ovens in the mountains. They only like just have like a piece of metal that they cook their tortillas on or whatever with a fire. And so I thought, well, like, what can I do to do this with them in the mountains? And Dutch ovens came to my mind. Now, I didn't know anything about like camping and cooking over an open fire. So I, I got on YouTube and I was like, how do you use a Dutch oven to bake over a fire? And so it's just, if anyone doesn't know what it is, it's just like a pot um, made out of cast iron and it has legs on the bottom. And then the top of it, the lid is like flat with a lip around it. So you pull coals out of the fire, you set the pot on top of the coals, whatever you're baking inside. And then you put the lid on and coals on top of the lid and it acts like an oven. And so this was just, it was just a God thing, really, that God gave me this idea. And so some people gave me old Dutch ovens and I restored them and I took them up to the mountains and had my first ever class with some of the ladies and taught them how to, we started with biscuits. I taught them how to make biscuits, took them ingredients and we had like a class together and it was like on the schedule. Like that was really important to them. Like they were on the schedule. And so it was like the first time that these ladies, He's had something to do. And, um, you know, in the pictures you look, I look back on, this was 11 years ago. Their faces are straight. They're not smiling, but they were into it. You know, like they did it, but just their overall countenance, you could tell that they still just didn't have a lot of worth in themselves. 
So this was 11 years ago. So every year I would do this and every year I would make a list of more ladies who wanted to be on the list and I would take more ovens to the mountains and we would do another recipe. And so we're 11 years into this, 11 recipes in. I have over 70 ovens in the mountains and I can tell you that the classes we have now, the ladies act like any lady in the States that goes to like a woman's conference. Like they laugh, they have fun, they joke around, they're smiling. I mean, in the pictures, they have smiles from ear to ear. And one really crazy thing that happened a few years ago, um, that year we were kind of in this little hut uh, that we were baking or doing the class in. And after we had baked everything and we were inside the hut, I saw some men come to the door and their, their wives motioned that they could come in to taste the food. And that was the first time I had ever seen a Tepuan woman like giving permission to a man to do something because the men were excited about what they had baked. So some of these ladies have started businesses where they like sell their bread, sell their cookies. Some of them just do it for their families. But in reality, what it is, is it, it really just opened a door for me to make relationships with the ladies. So as the years went, my Spanish started to progress. But at the same time, I asked um, one of the pastor's wives, uh, a Tepuan pastor's wife, like, what do you think? Like, what do the ladies say? You know, they talk in Tepuan most of the time and I can't understand them. And she said, well, they're actually talking about you. I was like, well, what are they saying? And she said, well, they say that you're not like a Mexican, but you're not like an American either. And that was like the biggest compliment because they saw me as just equal to them. So my Spanish was on their level. So I wasn't like higher up than they were. But also my children, you know, I've, I've taken my kids. My kids are um, teenagers now. My youngest is 10. My oldest is 16. So they're older now, but I've taken them to the mountains since they were born. I mean, like months old. So they've eaten in their homes. They've eaten their food. And they're like, we've never seen like kids, like Mexican kids from the city, like eat our food or like be in our homes. So just all those things, they just saw me as an equal to them. And that really just opened the door. And it's amazing how the gospel changes cultures. And I don't mean not the good things about cultures. There's many good things in every culture that you don't want to change. But there are things that are against uh, what God has established, and that you don't have to teach them to change those things, but the gospel itself begins to change. And so now when we go to church service, they still kind of sit separate, but the women sit down. They have their place to sit. And when uh, we're praying for people, they come to the altar and they get healed. Like they have found their place. And you see um, now like the, the men who are Christians, that their children will come up and actually like sit on their lap. And before you would never see any interaction, like a physical contact or anything between a child and a parent. Well, maybe with the mom, but still it wasn't like an affectionate touch. And so it's just amazing to see how the gospel and just people being open to say, hey, you have a place and God has something for you and you're just like me, just really opens the door for a culture to just completely be different than what it was before. Yeah, so. what a powerful ministry that is. That sounds both so sweet and also just so incredible that what you were able to do through this just small 
I mean, I'm sure it was kind of a, sm- a small idea at first, just grew and created such a sense of worth in these women. I, I just love everything about it. So I'm curious to hear throughout that, were the majority of these women part of the churches or were all of them part of the churches or were there any outside the churches that came to those classes? Yeah, so some of them were from the churches and then some of them were just from the town. So like in the first year, it was all uh, from the church. And then from there, it would just be different different women from the town that saw what they were doing and wanted to be a part of it. And I've actually had um, some, my mother-in-law actually uh, has girls from the mountains stay with her in the city and go to school. And so some of those girls have told me that when they go back home and they're in the mountains, that they've had women come up to them and say, do you know where I can find the white girl that has the ovens? And so she'll say, yeah, she'll be in this town, you know, during these dates, you know, during Easter. And so they know where to look for me so that they can be a part of of what we're doing. That's so sweet. Yeah. Having that ministry and that ability to form relationships is so powerful. I think that's it can sometimes be overlooked, you know, that you need to form relationships with people. I mean, sometimes it's just what someone needs to hear. They just need to hear the gospel and they're ready for it. But so many times there needs to be that relationship there. And what you have is so, so special and such a unique way to reach these women. I love it. Now, I'm curious about your, your personal relationship with God, because I've heard now this story view, your ministry developing, you know, you, you call this idea a God thing. For you personally, what has your relationship with God looked like throughout all these years? How do you connect with God? How have you related with God? How have you kept that relationship kind of alive and and thriving? So I'm I'm kind of a person that my relationship with God is like just constant throughout the day. So my kids are older now, so I do have time now in the morning to like wake up and and read my Bible and things like that. But especially when they were younger, I mean, I had four within six years and my first one came, I was pregnant six weeks after I got married. So it was just, it was really fast that I had a bunch of kids and little kids. And so, uh, when you're doing that and they're, they're at home with you all the time, you just have to make time. And for me, instead of setting out like an hour of my day or this or that, now I did have, they went to bed at a certain time and that gave me time to myself. That has been like my key to how do you get through so many kids that are young is make sure that they have a bedtime because that's how I survived. But for me, it was just throughout the day, everything I'm doing, I just kind of stay in communication with the Lord. And so, and I do pray in the spirit a lot. That is something that's been key in my life. Um, so the emotions, not only has it been emotions, but it has also been like anxiety. Uh, that's something that I've had to, uh, battle with, uh, especially this last year, actually, I went through a really strong crisis of anxiety. And so it's just been really important to me that no matter what I'm doing, I'm saying, God, what is it you want me to do today? So maybe today he wants me to rest. And he wants my body to recover from what I'm doing. And I've had to learn that. I've had to learn that it's not about doing, doing, doing. It's literally about listening to what God wants. Maybe for that day, he wants me to go have coffee with a woman who needs to talk about things. And there comes the relationships again. Like, that's just so important to me in my life. And so for me, that's kind of my relationship with the Lord. Uh, I do, um, you know, scripture obviously is there, um, 
And I like having a set thing like this year, I'm reading through the Bible, but I'm reading through it as a historical book instead of saying, how does this, what I just read today, how does that relate to me? I'm just reading it for its story. And it's just amazing how God is speaking to me through doing it that way, just something different. And so for me, it's that it's just everything that I do. It's like, Lord, what is it you want me to do? You know, speak to me is, you know, impress upon me if I need to take time with one of my kids a little bit more. Or, you know, is it something someone in the church that needs uh, some attention? Uh, Is it my husband? Do I need to pay more attention to my husband? Or is it something that I need between me and you, God? Like, is there something, you know, with my anxiety that was key and making it a point to say, I'm not going to let the emotions control me. They're there. I know they're there. They're real. I'm not being crazy and just being like, no, I don't have emotions. No, like I have emotions, but God gave them to me so he can teach me how to control those, like how to have control over my body and how how to have control over my mind and make my mind line up with what he's telling me and not the fears that I have or the worries I have that are day to day. And so just taking those throughout the day when I have a thought or a worry and just stopping and say, hey, wait a minute. Lord, what is it that you say? What is it that you want? Because I know he's walking along with me. So that's the thing is like, one of the things that's been key for me is when I have a relationship with God, it doesn't mean that my life's going to be perfect. It doesn't mean all of a sudden everything is beautiful. It means that I have someone I'm walking this life through with. I'm not alone. Like he's there with me in every step. And so my relationship, I mean, that's my lifeline. Like without it, I don't know how people survive literally without that relationship with God. Right, right. You mentioned at the beginning of kind of your journey into missions, how the the emotions kind of took you maybe off guard a little bit. Like, okay, I'm not, I'm not, this isn't suddenly the idealistic thing I had thought up. Have you found that you grew in your confidence in a role, a missions role, um, even though you just you just talked about how the emotions are still there, you still struggle with mm-hmm. that. It's not perfect even with God, but that relationship with God keeps you going. Have you found that you've grown into your role and you have more confidence in that and more confidence in how God can use you? Or would you say that it's still just, it's just a, every day you have to remind yourself like, okay, God can still use me. So for me, I've definitely grown. Um, so when I look back on how I got here and the things that I went through when I was first a missionary and the emotions I had and the, the years I had of feeling lonely, you know, I didn't speak the language. So I, I was lacking relationships with people around here and be able to talk deep conversations. It's hard for me to remember that sometimes because I'm now at a place where this is home. Like my friends here are, are my family. Like the, um, the leaders that we train, like they're my family. And so I have found my place here and I'm comfortable here and I thrive here. Uh, but I have seen that it's still always a work as well. So in the mountains, that was something that I never struggled with really. I, I thrive when I was in the mountains. And this last year, the crazy thing is when I had that kind of like anxiety attack that I had never experienced before, it was when we were going on our trip to the mountains at Easter. And so that was the first time that I was like, I'm good at this. And all of a sudden, like, I can't do this. And the Lord gave me uh, a, 
well, different scriptures, but one of them was about him upholding you with his righteous right hand. And when I was in the mountains during that trip, now my husband has been key because he just holds me up. He knew what I was going through and he knew that I was crying. And so he would just kind of slip me off to the side if I would have a moment and bring me back. But that was the first time I experienced that in the mountains where I'm supposed to be good. Like I'm supposed to do really good at this. And I wasn't doing good that year. And, uh, but I really just every day said, Lord, just carry me through today. And I don't feel like I was the best on that trip. Like, I don't feel like I did the best with relationships. I don't feel like I did the best in teaching the Dutch ovens. I don't feel like it was my best year, but God took me through it. And he did things. My son got, um, uh, baptized in the mountains with the other indigenous people. I mean, he got baptized next to a man who had been a witch doctor for years. And so like, I see, like, it was just God showing me, like, I've got your family under control. I'm taking care of your kids. I'm taking care of the journey. Like, it's okay. It's okay that you're not doing good right now. I got you just lean on me. And that was just my key. I had to lean on him. And it didn't mean that the anxiety completely went away or the fears completely went away, but I was able to just lean on him and say, I'm going to make it through this and it's okay. Like this is where he's taking me through right now. So although I've seen myself grow in the areas I struggled with before, they're always like rears, like the head rears up again and like in a different area. And I have to take it to God and say, okay, God, I can't do this on my own. It's not about me. It's about you and what you're teaching me and how I'm able to convey that to others and be a blessing and a ministry to other people, even though I might be going through something myself. And what a what a testimony to God's grace, really. I mean, sometimes yes. we think about just constantly battling these major sins of, you know, there's pride. I feel like pride, everybody's always constantly battling that. Oh, yeah. But but then there's also the self, just things like you mentioned, like anxiety and other things. But God is patient through that. And y- your yeah. your life is a testimony to that. I think that's just, it's so sweet to think about God just being a patient and loving father who guides us along, even when we get caught up in our own selves sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. What would you say is the biggest lesson that you've learned either through your ministry or from from a woman or women that you've interacted with during these years? I think the biggest lesson I've learned is to constantly be thinking about the person in front of me. I think it's more, um, it's just a natural thing that when, uh, just when we're going through our life, that we're thinking of ourselves. That's just natural. And I think the main thing I have learned is that like the person in front of me, what is it that I can do to be a part of their life and what they're going through? I I think like my motto of my life would be when Paul talks about being all things to all people. And that's kind of like my motto. Like if I'm in front of a a Tepewan woman, what is it that I can show her that we're similar and we're alike so that she feels comfortable and that I am interested in her life. You know, maybe it's like this last time I was up there, they were preparing the corn to make the tortillas by hand. And I like literally told them, um, I've never done that before. Like, I've never seen anyone do the process before. Tell me what you're doing. So like just making myself vulnerable to show them like I can learn from you. Like I'm in Mexico, there's a stigma that an American is like better. And so like, you have to learn from the American and I'm here to say, no, (laughs) like we're all the same and we all learn from each other. 
yeah, I can, you can learn from me, but I can learn from you. And so if it's in our church, um, our church here in the city, but our church is um, people, I would say, who have been forgotten by society. Like they live in a, a poor neighborhood, you know, they would kind of be rejected to the side. And so when I'm standing in front of one of them, like, what can I relate to their life? Or if it's someone in the city who's educated and I'm sitting in front of them, like, how can I relate to what they're going through and their life to feel like they are important, they are special, and God has something for them? And so that's that's kind of my thing in life has been think about other people. It's about people. It's not about the program. It's not about the plan. It's not about how to get it done. It's about the person that's standing in front of you. That's a great perspective. And it reminds me of the perspective of going after the one, you know, leaving the 99 yeah. behind. You're not, you're not with them. Go after the one right in front of you. And that's a unique yeah. way of seeing that. You mentioned the church a little bit. Now, I would love to transition into what you've seen in the church, whether it's the Tepewan church or whether it's the church in your city. Um, what are some of the things that characterize the church around you, the local body of Christ around you? What kind of things uh, have you observed in it and what what kind of characteristics have you seen? So um, in Mexico, um, of course, you still, you know, just like anywhere you have uh, uh, different groups of people. And so you can go to a church here in Durango and it'll be more wealthy people who are educated. You can go to another church and it'll be the young group that uh, the hipsters are, you know, whatever. You can go to another group and it'll be a different kind of people. But one thing that is is uh, really noticeable in Mexico is the Catholic background. So it's religion. So when people come to church, um, usually they're thinking of religion. So the Christian church has really converted into a religion instead of a relationship. So that's what I've seen most is uh, just people coming in looking for the pastor to be the priest, you know, looking for the pastor to be the one who prays for their friend who is sick instead of them being the one to pay, pray for the friend who is sick. Or like if they bring someone to church, they want to uh, pass them off to the pastor for the pastor to disciple them. And so we want to teach them like, hey, you can disciple someone. So like we're all... Uh, servants of God. And we may have a different place. You know, we have, we may, you may be a pastor, you may be a leader in your church, but you could be working uh, on the ranch or you could be working in the university and you're a minister wherever you are. And so I think that's kind of the, no matter what church you go to in Mexico, you kind of have to battle that religion versus relationship. But I think when people realize that the Lord wants to have a relationship with them, it's something that uh, breaks down a barrier and it's something that they want to embrace. They may struggle with it. It may be something that they always kind of fall back to the religion or start to fall back. But it's, it's more freeing saying like God wants to have a personal relationship with me. Like I can go to him. I don't have to go to someone else for them to tell me uh, what God wants to speak to me. Like he can speak to me personally. And uh, so that's kind of how, how the church is around here. So my husband and I, we are um, pastors, but we were kind of transitioning into um, 
handing our churches over to the leadership and us pastoring the leaders. And that's just like really where our heart is because we love to sit down with people and just show them their potential and say like, you've got this and God has a plan for you. So that's kind of, we're kind of at a transition point. Our children are teenagers now and we're kind of at a transition point in our ministry too of saying like, hey, we've got people under us who can do the job, like the day-to-day stuff. And we can just really just focus in on that relationship with them. That is a, that's such a good observation that you've made there and that you are not just watching it happen, but actively working to, you know, especially reinforce these beliefs, like priesthood of the believers and just the the power of the individual would have a relationship with God and to have a purpose, to have a God-given purpose that he can use them individually um, for his kingdom. I love that you've noticed that and that you're also working to teach that and empower the leaders to teach that. Um, yeah. I have so enjoyed listening to you share today. I've enjoyed listening to your story. Um, as we wrap up here, I would just like to hear if you have any prayer requests for um, your country, uh, for the people you work with, for your family, and then for yourself. Yeah, so just... For the country and the people I work with is just back to that same point of of having a relationship with God, just really um, not falling back on um, just the way that we've made church become, like it has to be a certain way and just kind of breaking down those barriers and saying, Lord, like literally like day to day, what is it you want me to do? And so for them just to have a hunger for that relationship and not get caught up Uh, Mexico is changing into being a little more like the States where everything's about work and where the culture really is about family and time. It's starting to gradually change into that, that work, work, work. And so I would just like to see Mexico be able to be themselves and just have that culture of relationship and use that for the kingdom and their relationship with God. And uh, for my family, so just be just for my husband and and my kids, uh, my kids are, you know, growing to where they're starting to think about what the future has for them. And so for them to be uh, sensitive, sensitive to what it is that the Lord is telling them um, to do. And uh, you could pray for my mom. So my mom is battling cancer right now and in just the last couple months. And so you could pray for my family and for my mom for that too. Anything for yourself? And for me, oh. <laughs> so for me, I think would just be um, just to be able to find peace and um, rest in God. Just to rest in God. Thank you for listening to the Adorned Women Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard here, then follow us on our Instagram for even more great content all week long. Our handle is at Adorned Women. You can also visit our website at www.adornedwomen.com. And of course, join us again next week as we connect with another sister in Christ and learn so much from her life of faith. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.